0: Dr. Kathleen King, welcome to the Tick Food Camp podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. Please call me Kathleen. It's so great to be here with you today.
0: Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate you giving me permission to be a little bit more casual, and, <laughs> and, and I'm sure the folks in our community will appreciate, um, you know, just the kindness that you've already shown me through, you know, the the, the um, offline conversation we were having. So, because you're so kind, and because you're asking me to call you, Kathleen, I will do that. Uh, but I do want you to first um, help me a little bit about your background. Uh, sure. I understand you're a doctor of physical therapy. So talk to us about the journey to becoming a doctor of physical therapy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I yes, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I also would consider myself a neuroscience educator, a wellness coach, and I'm very passionate about those who are dealing with chronic illness and trauma. I went into physical therapy because I had. Uh, an early obsession with the body and especially the mind body connection. And I became a physical therapist and I worked with chronic pain and all of the weird cases. I actually worked with Lyme disease pretty early on as it related to the chronic pain syndrome and tried to learn everything I could from more of a holistic perspective. I'd say I, my training was here in the United States, but my mentors were actually foreign trained. So I got a, a different viewpoint when it comes to the body. And I feel like, um, because that happened so early in my career, I always had a different lens when looking at somebody who was dealing with, you know, spinal spine pain that wouldn't go away or lingering joint pain or fibromyalgia or Lyme. And I became fascinated with the whole person and how it related to their body, their symptoms, how their brain processed their symptoms. And that's really what set me on my journey of understanding Lyme before I personally had my own personal experience going through that, which was one of those great ironies. You know, you're working with the chronic uh, pain community, the Lyme community. And next thing I know, um, several years later, I started getting symptomatic myself and my journey continued from there.
0: All right, so uh, I, I do want to only because I think it's 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 nice to transition to it. One one of the challenges that we here here have at the boot camp is that our acute care medical system has become so specialized, and the prism through which so many of these medical professionals are looking through is so narrow that they're not treating the whole person. In many cases, they can't diagnose um, Lyme disease because they are not looking at the whole person. So, talk about how your training was different than some of the allopathic professionals and why that has put you in a position where um, you can see what can't be seen in many mm-hmm. cases. And, and, and again, I'll share with our listeners, the brilliant Dr. Tanya Dempsey shared with us when we interviewed her that uh, that many, many of her patients had Lyme disease. And it wasn't until she had gone to a seminar with Dr. Richard Horowitz and started to get some of the frameworks that Dr. Horowitz had given to her that she couldn't even see the disease. And then it opened up to her and she's now one of the top Lime literal medical doctors in the country. So talk to us about how your training um, in the in, in the discipline of doctor of physical therapy and the training that you receive from these uh, foreign practitioners put you in a position where you could see what others couldn't see. Mm-hmm.
1: I feel so fortunate that I had the mentors I did because I graduated physical therapy school and I wasn't told to use the typical modalities of ultrasound and tens and all of the little machines we use. I was taught to help people connect to their body through breath work, through um, presencing, even slight meditation, and to become aware of how their brain was processing their situation, specifically their pain. And because of that initial training of what is the mind, what is the brain to body signaling that's happening? Even if it's, uh, post knee surgery, for example, what is the brain to body connection after that knee surgery that might be keeping people in a chronic pain loop. And so I immediately early on in my journey, always help clients, not just Uh, understand their diagnoses or exercises that might be helpful, but to help them gain a mastery of consciousness regarding the pain, the brain to body loop, their breath, their anxiety level, um, maybe their depression level, things like that, helping them to gain an understanding of what was going on mentally in addition to their injury or whatever was happening with them. And I noticed that people that came to the clinic that I was working at, in Portland, Oregon at the time, they'd often been to therapy, you know, lots of physical therapists and chiropractors, etc. And when we were able to get them to sync up to this brain to body connection, they started climbing out of their chronic pain response. And what I think happens for some of these folks with chronic pain, and, and this is going to lead to chronic Lyme is that when they have these chronic symptoms, they often have a lot of anxiety. They often have a lot of Uh, mental health challenges. And then that is what the doctors focus on. Oh, you need an anxiety medication, or maybe you up, you've got um, acid reflux from so much stress in your stomach. That's really what's going on. You need this pill. And they miss the underlying driver that is contributing to this chronic stress response to the chronic digestive upsets. And so for me, that's exactly what happened. I didn't get a Lyme diagnosis for many years because just like um, with some of these other conditions I work with, with Lyme, we often have these other symptoms that pop up first. It might be like weird brain fog or like vision impairment, or maybe a weird digestive thing. And people don't have Lyme on their radar. And so they go down these um, you know, they get microscopic about that particular symptom and they miss the brain to body connection. They miss the whole body connection. And, you know, you end up on a wild goose chase trying to figure out what's wrong with you for years. That was the case with me. I didn't think I had chronic Lyme because I didn't have the pain. And I think I didn't have pain because I knew how to regulate pain in my, like anytime pain would start to crop up, I understood the the brain to body connection. I knew how to turn off pain. And so I had all these other weird symptoms, you know, the fatigue, the um, brain fog, uh, digestive stuff, some neurological stuff, but you know, the pain signaling that often goes on with Lyme, I didn't have. And so it didn't, because all the Lyme people I worked with had pain, I didn't think it was Lyme for many years. So I, I kind of missed my own <laughs> diagnoses for a long time. Okay, so, I don't know if I answered your question, but well, you, you did. You did. So I
0: I, I want to come back to this. I just want to sort of tease this for the community, because I think we have to build out uh, the context of who Kathleen is and uh, where she came from and how, um, you know, neurological um, impairment and, and, and limbic system impairment uh, was a really important part of your journey. But for folks to understand you know, the brain as hardware and psychology as software, we, I think we have to go all the way back to the beginning of your story. Because one of the things I find most fascinating about you um, is, um, is that uh, you you understood very early on that your background, Played an important role in you being vulnerable to what ultimately became your chronic illness. So why don't we walk all the way back to sure. your childhood and 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 I want to talk about your childhood, and the challenges you had in your childhood, and the impact that that had on your brain development.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So rewiring, uh, sorry, rewinding all the way back. I grew up uh, in a very traumatic situation. I had grew up in illiteracy. Literally, my mother could not read and write. I was in poverty. I was even often homeless, I've slept in tents, I've slept in the back of a car, um, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse around me, no father. And as you can imagine, that's a lot of environmental stress and a lot of pressure. I early on had to learn how to take care of myself, how to you know do my own homework, because I was the only one in my family that was literate. And um, I became that child that grew up quickly, became the straight A student, the superstar athlete, the overachiever. And I found my value in um, success, in accomplishment, in being well-liked by my community. I learned how to survive in that situation by having my my friends' parents really like me. So I would get invited to their house because then I could have meals on the weekend and be well-fed and having the teachers like, pay special attention to me by doing really well. So I learned survival strategies as a child that really, um, was, you know, perfectionism overachieving, uh, people pleasing all of the ways that I needed to, um, brilliant strategies as a child, brilliant strategies to come out of a very dysfunctional situation and look like I overcame the odds. And, you know, so I was the the classic setup for what would be a high um, risk factor for chronic illness. If you look at the childhood ACEs study, I had a nine out of 10 score on my, eight, arguably 10 out of 10 score on my, on my ACEs. Um, and and what, yeah, was what, the, is, what is
0: the ACEs score? Yeah.
1: The ACEs score was a study done by Kaiser Permanente in the late, uh, late uh, I think 1990 something, I forget. But basically it looked at all of these, events that happen as a child, you know, were you abused? Were you in poverty? Was was one of your parents an alcoholic? Things like that. There are these questions, there's 10 questions. And depending on the number of questions that you answer yes to, there's a particular risk factor for developing chronic illness later as an adult. And it's um, a really uh, highly cited study that's uh, pretty amazing. If you look at the effect of having, you know, even an A score of two, three, or four out of 10 and the likelihood of developing a chronic condition as an adult is pretty high. Um, I was at the far end of that scale. So it was, you know, almost guaranteed I was going to end up sick. <laughs> um, and when I learned about this as an adult, at, I learned about it before I had gotten diagnosed with Lyme. And before I'd started getting sick, I learned about it in physical therapy school. And I was like, ah, oh, I beat the odds. I never got sick. And um, a handful of years later, that wasn't the case. I started getting symptomatic. So let's talk
0: about humans and humans as adaptive creatures, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I've, I've heard one expert argue that the reason humans are the dominant species on earth is because we're adaptive, right? We have, we have a, uh, we have a, 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 Uh, neuro, a great deal of neuroplasticity during the early stages of our lives, actually during all of our lives, but we're unbelievably, Mm -hmm. um, you know, flexible uh, during the early stages of our development. And of course, uh, most of our genes are not coded, we have this epigenetic um, uh, presentation where we code our genes as we're going through our early life experiences right. So, can you first explain to our folks about the human brain and what is what is happening with the human brain during the first five years of our of our development and what impact that was having on your life and of course on on, on your ACES score?
1: Yeah. So we're constantly taking an input from our environment. And if that input is overwhelming to our nervous system, meaning maybe there's a lot of yelling or fighting, or maybe there's hunger. Or other things that cause fear our developing brain and body often cannot process that input and we'll go into we'll end up going into a type of survival mode um where maybe we numb out we um you know shut down or we develop a strategy of oh if i really please mom or dad or so and so they're nice to me and they don't yell so the brain early on is looking for survival and is looking to get its needs met and it will do whatever it needs to do to have that happen. Sometimes that means, you know, shutting down to the point where you don't even know you're in a traumatic situation. Sometimes it means abandoning your own needs, your own desires, your own desire to play in order to do the things that the adults around you need you to do to keep them happy. And then we develop then our brain and our nervous system, because it's neuroplastic, it says, oh, this is how I need to operate in the world to be safe. And that setup can work for a while. But if you're not processing stress, if you're not moving that energy through and out your body in a safe container by having a parent hold you while you cry or while you express your anger, um, that energy gets stuck in our body and in our nervous system, we end up Um, getting wired into a chronic stress response. And this relates to what we'll talk about later, which is the limbic system of the brain, which is our emotional center of our brain, starts to become habituated to be, to expect stress and to look for threat. And for a while, it can look very functional in that it says, oh, let's achieve, let's people please, let's do all of these things. But underneath all of that, is a dysfunction, is a, is a situation where your limbic system is never able to fully calm you down or help you go into a parasympathetic rest and digest mode. You're in a sympathetic, high functioning, high achieving mode. Often when you grew up in this situation and your nervous system gets habituated to it. And all of a sudden, you know, you think you're doing great. And one day, you know, you get a virus or a tick bite or, you lose a job and all of a sudden your body breaks down
0: okay and i and 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 we're gonna get there so so in in this precognitive phase of our development years zero through five zero through seven depending on which expert you're talking to what's happening is your brain is making all kinds of connections right you're developing all kinds of connections and it's all neurosynaptic connections And you're not even aware of them. Your brain is recording and your brain, which is, which of course is primarily survival software is making all kinds of, 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 of these neurosynaptic connections, which um, are going to be triggers for you. They're going to be triggering you into rest and digest. digestive, they're going to be triggering you into fiber flight. And when you're, when you're being raised in a traumatic environment, the way you are, your neurosynaptic connections were all being triggered around this trauma, and as a result of that, your fight or flight triggers were very sensitive. Right? They were being you were being triggered. In fact, you may have been living only in the sympathetic state. So, can you first share with our listeners what the differences between the between the, the the parasympathetic and the sympathetic um, presentation of your nervous system, and talk about how this hardwiring experience that you are not even aware of that's happening during this pre-cognitive phase of your life is now setting you up for essentially living in the sympathetic state.
1: Yeah. So a sympathetic nervous system response means that you are in the go uh, response or the fight or the flee response. And, you know, we're not often fleeing from tigers or fighting off predators, but we might be trying really hard at school or working really hard or, you know, never able to like sit down and rest. Maybe we can't even really play because we need to go and do it's basically the go button, the gas button of your nervous system. And we can get stuck with that gas button or the gas pedal, you know, pressed down, it doesn't always look dysfunctional. It doesn't always look like anxiety and anger and fear that is sympathetic. It can look like achievement. And that is one of the biggest setups I see with chronic Lyme are the achievers. Um, it can also look like Over somebody. Years. Okay. What's that? Overachievers. Yeah. Over-achievers. Overachievers. Yeah. It can also look like a highly empathic person. That's one of my setups. So somebody who is like, oh, I'm an empath. I can sense everything. Yes. And your nervous system has probably become primed to look for everything, to look for what they're feeling so that you know how to react when that parent walks in the room or whatever, so that you know who's safe and not safe. That is another setup. The empath is often in a sympathetic dominant state versus parasympathetic dominant. Parasympathetic is our rest and digest system. It's the system that allows us to sleep um, easily, but it also allows us to feel safe to play, safe to be in connection. So if you're somebody who avoids connection in relationship or avoids playing, you might not have as much parasympathetic activity as would be optimal. So, you know, it's not just about sleeping and resting. It's about safe connection. And ultimately we want to have a balance in our system of a little bit of sympathetic, you know, go and motivation and desire and passion and parasympathetic rest and repair and play and connection. Um, So hopefully that describes those two um, aspects. Okay, so let's
0: let's build out the sympathetic piece uh, in a little more detail. So now you you're 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 being raised in this in this tense environment. Uh, you it is at a precognitive phase. You are your uh, your neural synaptic connections are being are being made purely around survival, and it's just constantly triggering survival responses. And you're living in the sympathetic um, presentation of your of your neurological system. I wanna talk about two different pieces of that. First thing is we've been taught by some of our past podcast guests that when you're when you're when your nervous system is presenting as um, as uh, in the sympathetic state. And by the way, you can only be in one or the other. You can never be in both. You're either sympathetic or parasympathetic, and that's gonna be the presentation. When you're when you're in the in the sympathetic uh, presentation it's fight flight freeze faint or fawn those are the only five presentations right and uh in many cases people think for example when they're being people pleasing or they're being or they or they're or they're um they're they overachievers that uh that that is healthy but really that's just a presentation of fun right and it's a presentation of your central nervous system being in this overdrive and 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 because it's constantly in overdrive, two things are happening. One, you're suffering; you are just suffering. But two, um, I'd like you to talk to us about the impact that it's having on your on your uh, on on the ability of your of your body to fight off disease and 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 to protect you from all of these environmental insults that are a part of our experience.
1: Yeah, so it's such an important question and what you need to know is that your body has a limited amount of uh, capacity in it, meaning that if you are in the process of running from a predator, your body is not going to be interested in digesting your food at that same time or fighting off some internal virus in your system or pathogen in your system while it's running away from a predator. So even though the, um, activity of being a high overachiever or a people pleaser isn't the same as running from a predator, physiologically, it's very similar. You're in a sympathetic dominant state, which is where you're trying to get energy into your limbs to go. It might feel like anxiety, or it might feel like being like obsessively scanning the room and taking in all that information. Your body is not in the state of, oh, I need to digest my food right now, or I need to clean up this excessive pathogen growth that's happening right now, or I need to uh, rest and repair my organs. So the body has to make a choice. And when we keep it um, consciously or unconsciously in this sympathetic state, it can't keep up with all of these other needs which is organ repair and digestion and immune modulation and things like that and that's when we can get into problem when we di- we are unconsciously in this hyperdrive state never actually repairing
0: okay so so our immune system gets shut down And because our immune system gets shut down or it's certainly impaired, we are certainly much more vulnerable to our immune system ultimately being overrun by all the bugs that we're picking up during the course of our lives. So now we have, we have young Kathleen, who's now in this very hostile environment. We have a brain now developing around pure survival. We have all these, all these connections that are being built out in the hardware of her brain that are purely just designed to help her. She appears to be a higher achiever because you know, she is she is doing well in school and she has a lot of close connections with friends, but it's all being built around surviving. Right. So that you can have a place, uh, you know, a safe place to be. So you can have people who are, who are willing to feed you. So it's all survival based. Right. But you're now growing up. Right. And now you're in a position where more and more of what you're perceiving is being perceived around a threat. And these connections that are being built in your brain that are ongoing as you're now in the cognitive phase of your, of your brain development. Now we're saying between five and 13, right? You're, this is now being, being reinforced, like the the challenges that were being built in your brain are being reinforced and, and the, and the, and the, and the the problems that, 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 uh, that you're dealing with, um, the problems that you're dealing with, of course, are continuing to be an issue for you, right? And you're now living in the sympathetic state. You're now living with constantly living in fight, flight, freeze, strength, or fawn, largely fawning and overperformance and and, and, and people pleasing. And now we have uh now we have you starting to st- you know, grow. You're starting to now um now have life experiences. And talk to us about how now your health is beginning to show you some challenges as, as you're growing
1: up? Yeah. An important part of all of this is to understanding at the core of all of this nervous system development, our relationship attachment wounds. So we're talking about early on, you know, you get stuck in sympathetic, you're stuck in protection, but the core is that there's an attachment that's not happening that needs to happen, or it's um, confusing or whatever. So for me, when my symptoms started was when I was Probably early 20s in college. Um, One of my primary caregivers passed away, and I had my first panic attack. And then there became this chronic anxiety loop. And that was just because I didn't know how to process this loss of attachment. I didn't know how to process attachment at all growing up. And so that was my first symptom. Shortly after that, I got into my first serious relationship, and then I traveled to South America. And I got my first uh, immune insult, which was a parasite. And I was having relationship difficulties, a lot of stress. Um, You know, I, of course, I attracted a nice avoidant attachment style and I was an anxious attachment style. So I'm in this stress state. I, you know, contract a parasite and I am in, you know, this vigilant place. I'm in a foreign country. I'm, you know, hyper aware. I'm already like that anyway. And, That was my perfect setup to have my immune system, not have the capacity to find and locate the pathogen that I was exposed to and appropriately respond. I couldn't respond. And so that pathogenic load grew. Uh, Six weeks later, I was hospitalized in South America with massive parasite infection, flown back to the States. And that was really the beginning of the down the downturn for me. Um, started with a parasite digestive issue and relationship wounding, we're rearing its ugly head. Um, I tried to keep working, you know. I just, you know, started my career. And so I was working a lot with a nice gut infection, but I'm young enough so I can handle it and freaking out about my relationship constantly. <laughs> so over a period of a handful of years there became uh, fatigue. I also had tick bites along in this time. I travel, I'm from Northern Michigan. I travel home, which tick bite was the one I have no idea. Um, also was living in mold in Northwest Portland. So I had the parasite, the relationship, the tick bite, the mold, uh, tested positive for chronic, uh, you know, viral stuff. And I slowly just couldn't keep up the function that I had built up in my previous years. And oh, over time, I and, stopped and, working.
0: And Kathleen, at the same time, um, you have a you have a neurological system that was built around keeping you safe in a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had all of these other things that you were picking up during the course of your life, whether they be social um, challenges because of relationships, and the bugs that we all pick up during the course of our lives, you, of course, go into a foreign country and probably pick up a bug you might not have come in contact with had you been stateside. Um, and, but you're picking up other bugs. You're getting tick bites. And it's generally not the one bite. But during the course of your life, you kept up picking up more and more bugs. And we don't know what was being spit into you by each one of those sick bites and what combination was coming in. But ultimately, what was happening is your immune system got overwhelmed, in part because of all the bugs you were harboring, in part because of environmental insults, such as mold, in part because of uh, of, of, of social stresses. And you just didn't have, from your ACEs score you now know, you didn't have A central nervous presentation that would allow your immune system to function at a high level. And that whole thing came together and you crashed.
1: Yep. I had the perfect setup. And, you know, you could have predicted that pretty easily that eventually that was going to happen. I didn't know how to rest, I didn't know how to chill out, I didn't know how to have a harmonious relationship. I didn't know how to really play um, unless it was like really intense. You know, I was also an intense athlete, and I didn't know how to give my nervous system that down time it needed to process uh parasites, to process emotional wounding and relationships, to detoxify from the mold. I didn't have the personality for it. I didn't have the lifestyle, I didn't have the training or the awareness. And yeah. So. I want to talk
0: about one more piece before Matt takes you through your diagnosis and that is sleep right What I think that happens when we we are living in this um, the sympathetic presentation of our nervous system is that we can't sleep And sleep mm-hmm. is really important because what's happening of course from the hardware standpoint or well, these neural synaptic connections that um, unfortunately were all hardwired into your brain in you know in in the survival mode, The way that we change that matrix in our brain over time, of course, is getting good sleep, and allowing our brain to process all of the information that we are gathering during the course of the day so that we can rewire our brain so that it will serve us rather than not serving us, how we can overcome the challenges that were associated with growing up in that, in that intense environment that you had grown up in. But because you were always presented in, you were living your life in fight or flight, because you were constantly, in everything you were doing in overdrive, you now were having struggles with making the changes that could ordinarily come across with rewiring your brain. So, can you talk to us about how how this loop that you were in were just making your 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 connections more and more, um, or I should say, less and less healthy from a from a structural standpoint.
1: Yeah, I was reinforcing. I was in a situation where I was reinforcing the original wound. The environment isn't safe outside of me mold, South America relationship environment doesn't feel safe inside of me to be with these feelings, which, you know, now I have parasite and other sorts of uncomfortable sensations in my body, as well as emotional sensations in my body that I don't know how to presence and be with. So the limbic system of the brain is like outside is scary. Inside is scary. Life is scary. And trying to sleep when your limbic system is perceiving the outer world and the inner world in that place is very difficult. Um, and so like most people I developed severe insomnia patterns. Um, that was one of my earliest symptoms and, um, you know, the body couldn't repair itself. And I didn't know at the time how to hack my limbic system to get it out of this threat mode. I was so, you know, I was like, I had real threats. I had mold. I had this, I had relationship. I didn't realize that I was going to have to find a way to hack this myself to turn off that threat response. Cause I was non-responsive to medications. I mean, they threw everything at me, all the anxiety, all the sleep stuff. And then I was a real mess because you know how that is when you get addicted to benzos and all that kind of stuff. I was a hot mess for many years, and I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to turn off the threat response in my brain.
0: So before I turn you over to Matt to go through your your diagnosis and killing your- me, Rich. Treatment. Well, I have one more. I, I have <laughs> one so more question. I'm sorry, Matt. It is your turn, but uh, I know you. I, I know you. You're you're very jealous that I've been spending so much time with Kathleen without you. Uh, but uh, can you define the limbic system for us and and how the system works? I know that's something we, we are going to build out in a little more detail later on. But you you've mentioned it a couple of times. And just for our listeners who are not familiar with the system, can you just yeah. give them a, an outline of the structural yeah. process?
1: The limbic system, simply put, is your emotional processing center of your brain. There's a lot of structures to it, but the main structures that we often talk about are the amygdala. It's often called the fear center of the brain. It's looking and constantly making associations based on your past memories. Um, Is this safe or not safe? Uh, it works alongside your hippocampus, which is your memory processing center. So your limbic system is constantly making associations. Are dogs safe or are they not safe? Oh, I got bit by a dog at age two. I might have a limbic system that's afraid of a dog for years because it's decided that dogs cause pain. Um, other people might have grown up with a dog and had a great experience and their limbic system never tags a dog as a threat. So the limbic system, when it comes to dogs for the next person says that's safe. And so the limbic system is a very subjective system. It's going to be different from person to person. And that's really important. And that's why we have to have compassion with each other when someone's limbic system is activated and having a terrible response. And the other person's like, what are you talking about? This is fine. It's one big association center of the brain that's very subjective based on our past.
0: Right. So, so the, so the amygdala is our smoke alarm, right? It is is what triggers, it was triggers us to now go through this fight or flight pattern, right? The smoke alarm goes off and then we have the HPA axis, Uh, Where you talk about the hippocampus and and what role that plays, and and then we have the pituitary gland, which is now going to be injecting all the chemicals, and then we're going to have you know adrenals who are going to uh, you know going to be shooting uh, uh, adrenaline based on our cortisol receptors, right? And we have this. We get into this place where, where our cortisol receptors uh, ultimately become very much like somebody who has, um, has diabetes, where, where, you know, you, you, you are now, you know, your, 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 your receptors are re- retarded. And as a result of that, you have all of this adrenaline floating through your system and floating through your system. And you're in this vigilant experience where you're just either, vi- you have a hair trigger, uh, sensitive um, you know, response to fight or flight, or you're just living in fight or flight. Yeah. All of this, or much of this is built into your brain with the hardware that was developed during the first five years of your life.
1: Yeah. And I want to say that some people get so habituated to this chronic cortisol state that their cells... um become very good at taking cortisol from the bloodstream. And so you might not even feel anxiety. It might be a normal feeling to be in a high amount of stress. And you might feel fine because your cells have habituated to, to that much cortisol running through your bloodstream. And you might be the person that says, no, I'm not in any stress. I I feel fine when actually you've been in a chronic stress response for so long that it's now normal. It's normal to be in that fight or flight.
2: Does that mean you're addicted to stress? I'm sorry, Rich, I had to jump in because I'm hearing you can become addicted to stress and become in this chronic stress state and think it's normal when it's not, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And your cells have developed so much, so many receptors to uptake cortisol out of the bloodstream. It doesn't even look like, you don't even feel like it's a problem because you're just now, and that was me. I was a machine for cortisol.
2: <laughs> yeah. So much of what you're saying, I personally can relate to. And listening to you and Rich for the first half of this has been very personal for me because I can relate to very much of what you described. And I think many people that are listening to this podcast and most of our podcast guests prior to you can relate to those feelings. And I think it makes us more vulnerable and makes us more susceptible to becoming chronically ill from Lyme disease and and all, right? Meaning the the viral stuff, the mold, the parasites, you know, the, all the immune insults that we stack on. And I think that's a really good way of putting it, how you described it with Rich, but talk to us about when you first thought Lyme disease, what brought Lyme to the table and how you landed on your diagnosis?
1: Yeah. Um, I had been to many doctors over a period of five, six, eight years, probably at this point. Um, I had, you know, the parasite digestion, um, chronic fatigue, chronic viral doing all these treatments and just not getting better and I happened to have a practitioner who said, "Well, maybe it's mold or lime." And um and when he said lime, there was a knowing through my body. I was just like, "Oh my gosh." that it's been there all along and as i said at the beginning of the podcast i didn't have chronic pain and all the people that i used to treat with lyme had pain and so i missed it for me and once he said lyme i'm like i think that's what i i think that's there and i think i just don't have the pain presentation cuz i know how to modulate pain being a physical therapist um and so that was really like the aha i didn't even go down the mold pathway for a little bit until treating Lyme wasn't very successful. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it came from a practitioner who said, well, the only other thing that I think could be going on after all this treatment, all these doctors could be Lyme or mold. And it was just like a knowing.
2: So let me follow up a couple of follow-ups on that. Cause you did mention to Rich earlier, you brought it up again, that because you were a physical therapist, you found ways to modulate your pain, which Mm -hmm. sort of took you off the trail of Lyme disease. Yeah, A lot of people listening to this podcast suffer from chronic pain due to live borne illnesses. So can you share with us in more detail what you were doing and what you've learned from your training to help modulate pain despite being sick with all these infections? Yeah.
1: So early on as a physical therapist, I was trained with the John Sarno method, um, as well as some thought processes from foreign trained physical therapists where we immediately got every patient focusing on... Um, being able to calm down the stress, res- the pain response in their body by simply observing the part of their body in pain and, uh, interpreting that it's not a threat, that it's just like thinking of it, like a muscle that's getting squeezed and it causes a lot of pain to reinterpret that that signal is coming from the brain. And doesn't need to keep warning you that there's a problem there. The injury's long past, or, you know, what the surgery has been long gone. We don't need this pain signal anymore. So I learned how to, um, presence pain and to sit with it without a threat and without having it mean something's dangerous very, very early on. So any pain signaling that would happen, I did it immediately. So nothing ever caught on. If that makes sense. I, immediately taught the brain. Oh, I see that. And right now, you know, I'm not, there's not an injury here right now. I don't need that warning signal. So this, you know, if you are interested in this, this really comes from the philosophy of John Sarno, TMS, um, philosophy dealing with chronic pain. Um, and so that's just the way I approached it. And that's what I taught, you know, many, many people and many of my clients who had fibromyalgia or chronic pain after surgeries or things like that. I taught them how to become present with and to sit with and to not resist and to also notice that there is a lot more going on in their body than just this painful joint, for example. And so the brain would slowly oh, okay, she doesn't think that area is dangerous. I can let go of my awareness of that area. I don't need to send that threat um, signaling to the body because she's not afraid of it.
2: All right, so I'm going to break it out a little bit more. So I I look at this, I'm going to put it into two different groupings of pain. So one, one grouping is you are not properly treated. You have an active group of infections, Lyme, co-infections, mold, mold illness, et cetera and your body is extremely inflamed all throughout. You have systemic inflammation resulting in pain, all kinds of weird feelings, and that's that's from a real root cause and, a, and an active infection or many infections. The other grouping I'll say is after you have been able to manage these things and you've had some adequate treatment, whether it be Western or Eastern, and you can see that these, these infections have gone down, many times our brains get stuck in that pattern and the pain persists despite the fact that many of our infections are no longer there or they're suppressed, right? So in your with this type of work where you can modulate pain, it sounds like you're saying it you can be effective in both of those groupings, whether you have an active infection and you're, you're, you have systemic inflammation or you have this stuck circuit of a pain signal even after the infection is gone, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I would say that in both groupings, pain is created in the brain. It's a brain signal initially that those initial signals as inflammation starting to rise, and you haven't had the opportunity to catch up with the brain and say, I hear this, I see this, you know, you may have ramp, you may have pain that starts to increase. And I'm not saying that you can always get rid of pain, but what you can do is learn to presence pain where the threat of it is lower. So it doesn't get, um, so severe, Or it's even something that maybe is there, but you're able to live with because you've learned how to teach the brain that it's not going to take up all the real estate of your awareness. So I want to be careful in that just because you're not able to get rid of your pain doesn't mean you've failed at this method. How can you modulate what this signal means so that your brain allows you to also focus on your life while maybe having a chronic pain aspect uh, or response somewhere in the body. But yes, in both cases, pain is in the brain. You can work with the brain and you can teach your brain a different perception and a different way of signaling over time.
2: So I think is another way to say that the pain is sort of cyclical and it'll amplify. So the more pain you have, Your body responds, your emotions respond, your hormones respond, Mm -hmm. and it amplifies. And then as you continue to respond to that, it gets worse and worse and worse. And then it persists and it persists and it persists. But if we respond accordingly, we can stop the perpetuation and even make it where it can be more manageable, despite that we have an active infection. I think it's, is that, am I saying that correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have some control of both the pain and our response to our life, even if the pain is still there. And that's through this, these, these biohacks, if you will, of the yep. of the limbic system and of your processing.
2: Well, I know I'm sure you guys discussed it. I do apologize for being, I was on for quite a while, but I was about 30 minutes late. But I was listening while driving home late from work. But I know I just want to put out there again, we're gonna to get to this, that you do have primal trust. There's a ton of programs you have that can help people with this. So we'll get to that later on. But if you're listening, stay tuned, stick with it, because you Kathleen has this primal trust program that could help many people and has helped many of our, our close friends and our guests, including our last guest that we had on the podcast who actually refers to you all the time and is a huge advocate of yours, Dr. Ashley Beckman. So she she sung your praises as well. So just have to put that out there. But on this topic of pain, I just wanted to, because this is a really common theme, theme we see, right? So the good news is that even if you have an active infection and you're struggling, you can't get that Bartonella down or whatever it may be, that's, mm-hmm. that's something we hear a lot we can help with these techniques. We can help with these modulating of pain techniques with these brain rewiring techniques, with the hacking ourselves techniques, but you, you were able to curb it early on because you were a physical therapist and you had these techniques. If I'm, if I'm somebody listening to this podcast and I'm in that cycle, I'm a year into chronic pain. Can these tools still help them even though they're a year in and you caught it so early on because you were, you were lucky enough to have this background, Kathleen.
1: Absolutely. The good news is that the brain is very neuroplastic, and you're a conscious, creative being that has agency over your focus point. And the more that you retrain your focus point in specific ways, and you're going to learn the ways of, you know, what do I focus on if I've got chronic pain? There's a ton of material out there. The brain is plastic, and you can change how the brain is perceiving. And sending signaling to the body um, with 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 repetitive practice of, of of various focusing exercises.
2: All right. So one question, one more question before we get on to your your Lyme journey, your diagnosis, your treatment, and then the mold and all that stuff is. Many people listening to this podcast can relate to the fight or flight feeling, and if and the more we become in tune with this, the more we can sense it kicking in, and we can sense ourselves building up. What is a a very simple technique you can recommend to our listeners that if they feel themselves getting kicked into fight or flight, or there's a trigger, whether it be an external, you know, an emotional trigger or a physical trigger or a pain trigger or whatever it may be. We we all have different triggers. What's a very simple technique we can all do to help modulate our nervous system and bring ourselves back into that rest and digest state that we can all implement in our daily lives?
1: Good question. So our threat mechanism is usually remembering something in the past. So it's a memory that's coming up that's scaring us or there's something in the future that we're afraid of. So it's a past and future mechanism. So if you listen to any like, you know, spiritual teacher, yoga teacher, nervous system teacher, the whole, all of the techniques are about coming into the present moment and showing your limbic system, what this current environment is like in this present moment. Is there a threat in this present moment? There might be a symptom that you don't like, and you don't know what it means and your job is in this present moment, I have this symptom. I don't like it. I don't know what it means, but I'm looking around and I'm noticing that I'm in a safe room right now, or I've I've got this beautiful yard. I could go sit in and look at this bird. I can pet my dog. I can play a game with my child. And you show the limbic system that in this moment, even though you have things out of your control, you are alive. You have things around you you can connect with hopefully. Now I know some people are in environments that, you know, maybe they need to get into a safe environment to be able to do this. and I want to be respectful for that because there are people out there that are in, you know, pretty um, terrible environments or in terrible homes. So I, I'm I'm I don't want to say that this is always easy. So number one, getting into physical safety and getting a resource. But once you've got those things, I had to orient to the present moment again and again and again, and teach my brain how to do that. I didn't know how to do that. Why? Because as a child, my present moment environment was not good. It wasn't fun. I didn't have, I didn't know how to find safety as a child in my present moment environment, but I'm all grown up now and I can take myself outside. If I don't like what's going on inside myself, I can go, um, color or, or get, or do some drawing or something. I can, resource myself in this present moment. And the more that we train the limbic system, yes, we have this thing and I don't like it, or the future is unknown, but in this present moment, I have this resource. I have my breath. I have um, a, a favorite show I can watch. I have a child I can play with, whatever it might be. So present moment awareness in very creative ways again, and again, and again, is the nutshell of, how to start hacking that um, limbic system response.
2: I love that answer. And we're going to get deeper into that, but I want to go back to your Lyme journey because we got to go through your your story here, but we are going to come back and focus more on that stuff because we are fascinated by that topic. So talk to us about your, you talked about Lyme, you talked about mold, you resonated with Lyme, you realized that's probably it. Did you get tested? If so, what lab Mm -hmm. and what were the results? Was it just Lyme or were there co-infections involved too?
1: Yeah, I got tested through Igenics, and I had, Lots of co-infections. I had Lyme. I had, you know, lots of the, the, the big list. You know, even the HH, You know, I don't even remember all of them. But the doctor is like of H L A D
2: R. The, the mold one. The, the I did
1: the I. I don't remember the mold test. Which one I had at the time, but definitely the mold, the Lyme, the co-infection, the like, um, the mycoplasma. The you know, all the things that we Bartonella, get. Barnella,
2: Babesia. Oh yeah, Barnella, right? Babesia.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Just like, how is this possible? Like, what's wrong with my body? How can I have this list? You know, and then there's the parasites, like, oh, you got this and this and this and this. And I'm like, what? Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? It was so confusing. And I felt like everything they tested for was positive. And then I'm like, are these tests like broken? Like, how can how is this possible? Um yeah. So I had a lot of stuff, uh, as far as infection, I had, um, other things, endocrine issues, thyroid issues. Um, and you know, the detox, Oh, the gene test. That's always fun too. When they say, Oh, you won the unlucky lottery of the gene pool. You can't detox this. And you know, all that. I had that set up, you know, the mold genes, the gluten genes, the MTHFR, the sulfur stuff, you know, so I was that person that felt like I was one big curse. Right. And I'm sure that, um, a lot of people relate to this because I, you know, I, I, hear that from a lot. Well, you know, I, I can't fight this as well because I have these genes and yeah, it, it sucks when you get all of that piled on and yet you're supposed to feel hopeful and positive and, you know, and yet you're being given this sentence that says your body is, you know, dumb and it can't detoxify. <laughs> so well, with all these things, what though, it Kathleen, felt like. it,
2: it's, it's very much of it is how we approach it, right? If we reframe right. that, and we talked about this with so many other of our past guests recently, you know, Dr. Beckman to Dr. Jill Carnahan to, to Dr. Dempsey and even Dr. Bill Rawls and Dr. Casey Kelly, these are all important data points. Now, you know, part of the puzzle, you have the soup of things, mm-hmm. you have the soup of toxins. Now, you know, you have mold, you have parasites, you have lime, you have bartonella, you have babesia, you have mycoplasma. And now you can sort of target a part of the soup that you know you have. You also know your genetic weaknesses which are not the end of the world, right? Through dietary means, through nervous system means, et cetera, you have the ability to now target those and overcome them through dietary changes, supplements, et cetera, lifestyle changes, et cetera. And through that knowledge, you can become even stronger and expedite your healing journey, I feel like, right? So I'm kind of looking at it from a different angle and everybody's like, Matt, this journey sucks. How are you taking a positive view? But the more, the more, you know, the more data you have, you can make data-driven decisions. And I think that's the other opposing viewpoint to this, right?
1: Yes. And I couldn't see that at the time for a while. Like many of your listeners, you just feel like you're screwed, right? And sometimes certain doctors aren't so helpful in that, in the way they deliver the information or they make you feel like, you know, you're screwed. And that was my case. And maybe it was because it was, you know, almost 10 years ago where I was getting these diagnosis. And, you know, at the time the genetics was the big thing and it was a big, you're screwed um, thing to me. Um, uh, but now we have so much more information on all of that. Um, but I would definitely went through the poor me, why me, this isn't fair. This sucks. And I'm screwed face for sure.
2: So now that you have all these diagnoses, what is your doctor that you're working with at the time telling you to treat all of these things that you have the Lyme, the co-infections, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So of course they wanted to immediately go into antibiotics, but Another one of my I'm screwed things is I'm allergic to almost every strain of antibiotics besides um, uh, doxy, but I didn't want to take, I didn't even know at the time, because I, I was the kid who had all the reactions to all the antibiotics. So I couldn't do penicillin and sulfa and this and that. So, the, you know, it was one more like, oh, we would do antibiotics, but you can't. And, and I'm I'm kind of glad that I didn't get put into that route, to be honest, because I think I wouldn't have handled it very well. Um, so he was like, we're going to have to start with herbs and detox, um, stuff. And of course I was the person that couldn't tolerate a drop of cat's claw or a drop of Byron white formulas. I couldn't do homeopathics very well. I was so sensitive and so shut down. I now know I was in severe cell danger response. And that's something I teach a lot of people about that. I couldn't tolerate a lot of treatment. So we kept trying you know, thing after thing. And I just would herx and get more neurotoxic and sicker. And it was a long journey of trying a lot of different things. Um,
2: is cell danger response, is that basically you're not able to detox? Is that what that means? Or is that something different?
1: Cell danger response basically means that the threat mechanism all the way down to the cellular level is such that your mitochondria energy is being used used for protection so you're not detoxifying and you're also sending signals it's not that you don't have energy you're using your energy to send signals to the rest of the body saying hey we're in a threat everybody clamp down there's a war out there and we need to um you know basically uh, barrier ourselves so that we don't let things in but we also don't let things out so cell danger response is, you know, a combination of having a a threat to the immune system plus a nervous system that is in danger response. And that's that combination, the deadly combination I teach so much about in primal trust is how to recognize cell danger response and how to appropriately deal with it.
2: So we have this approach we put together from the feedback from all of our almost 400 guests now on this podcast. We we call it, you know, uh, the, the PARM approach to treating Lyme disease, where you have your prehab, which is things you do before you treat. You have your assist, which is aiding your immune system and removing pathogens like Lyme and co-infections, mold, etc. Then we have the R for rehab, you know, rebuilding your body. And then the M is maintenance to kind of maintain a healthy lifestyle so you don't have a relapse or get really sick again. And, and what you just described, I think is an, is an important additional step in the prehab phase. You went right into the assist phase, which is, which Mm -hmm. is the kill the herbs, and -hmm. you had a really bad reaction. You couldn't even take Mm -hmm. a drop, you said, but it sounds like at the P level, at the prehab level, we always talk about detox, opening up your drainage pathways, making sure your liver can, you know, can uh, secrete all the toxins and your bile is moving. And then once that happens that you have binders to pull everything out and help it come out of your body as you're killing off pathogens. Yeah. But no matter what you do from a supplement st- side, so whether you're taking glutathione and NAC and binders and you're doing everything you can and you're making sure you go to the bathroom you know, at least once a day, if you're in fight or flight, that cell danger response mode is basically saying, I'm all locked in, I'm keeping everything inside, I'm exerting all my cellular strength, my mitochondria strength, to staying in fight or flight. All that energy is being wasted in fight or flight. And if mm-hmm. we can't get to that cellular level, we're never truly gonna be able to prehab properly to allow detox at the assist phase. What yeah. do you think of that? I'm trying to, I'm trying to take what exactly. you're teaching us and you're, build it into our framework.
1: You're spot on. And I wish I would have talked to you 10 years ago instead of that doctor, because at the time that was what they did. They're like, oh, we need to try to kill Lyme or try to, you know, and, and people, like me couldn't tolerate it, some people could. And there was no knowledge of cell danger response. Like that paper wasn't out, people weren't talking about it. There wasn't the understanding of let's open up the detox pathways and put the Lyme killing on hold for a little while because the brain was like, oh, here's here's what the lab test says, let's go after it. There wasn't this greater perspective and they sure as heck didn't talk about limbic system retraining to me. I went that entire, like 10 years, nobody mentioned the limbic system to me. And, you know, to me, that's just so unfortunate. So what you've just said is so key and what I try to educate in my community as well. Number one, we need to turn down that cell danger response. And that happens you know, we do a lot of mindset, nervous system, limbic system retraining, very careful opening up of the detox pathways, so that you don't detox too quickly and, you know, freak yourselves out even more. So there's a very careful stage that has to happen here, um, to prepare the body, as you've said, to be able to release these pathogens. And I would also argue that relationship attachment is huge in this stage. And I'm even learning more like Literally like that's the new learning right now. Like, where does relationship attachment repair fit into that pre-stage that you talk about? So we've got nervous system, relationship understanding, and the detox pathways. To me, that that combination is gold if you can dial that in.
2: So in the prehab, we have nervous system regulation, we have relationship understanding, and then of course the traditional detox that we hear a lot about on this podcast. But you're saying that the nervous system and the relationship piece are really important and shouldn't be missed in the prehab, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because here's what I see. People will do the open up the drainage pathways, but they're in a shit relationship. Sorry. They're in a bad relationship. Oh, good. Um, They haven't changed any of their lifestyle habits of go, go, go. Or um, now it might be obsessed about Lyme disease and research that all day. That's their new go, go, go. And they're in constant fight or flight. They've, they've done this opening, but To get your immune system to assist you in that killing response and assist you in the detoxification response, you need to be in parasympathetic for a successful outcome. Otherwise you try detoxing and you end up poisoning yourself because you're still, you know, bound up. You release toxins, but you're not letting them go. Or you take killing agents to kill Lyme, but you can't appropriately let go because you're in sympathetic fight or flight and you poison yourself with neurotoxins. That was what happened with me.
2: And it's really interesting to think why some people have a harsher reaction to antibiotics or herbal antibiotics. It may be a combination of some people are more in fight or flight. Some people are have a you know insult to injury with that where they have these genetic deficiencies and they can't detox. And I think the the more crap you have in that pile, the harder it's going to be for you to get into the the kill phase or the you know the assist phase to assist in the killing of the of the pathogens, right? So, the one the one thing we hear a lot, and I want to I want to hear your counter to this statement is I was and and or am so sick i need to start killing this stuff i can't think i can't focus i don't have the attention or the mental capacity to be able to do a brain retraining program like primal trust and we hear this more often with like dnrs dnrs is yes. way too you know deep i don't have the brain power to yeah. do it but obviously it's really important to do that in the prehab phase otherwise you're not going to be able to properly receive the killing or the assist phase of our of our treatment formula right so how would you respond to that when people yeah. say i'm just simply not well enough to do it
1: yeah That person needs resourcing as far as either a community or a person to do this along with them. And they also need to probably focus more on the vagus nerve and even understanding of their nervous system before getting into brain retraining. In primal trust, I don't teach brain retraining until about halfway through the program for this reason, because people certainly don't have the resourcing to to even be able to get into that positive state. So having somebody brain retrain that you're listening to can be positive for somebody in that state, just listening to the person, learning how to do basic breath work, very simple breath work that my children can do. So even in a highly impaired cognitive state, there is certain breath work practices. I also teach functional neurology exercises, meaning we're doing eye exercises to help um, target the brain. And you can do that in a pretty dysfunctional state as well. So there are things that I give people that just, you know, no matter what cognitive level you can probably do, but I would say it comes back to relationship, having somebody alongside them in, in that process is going to be important for somebody in that condition and having appropriate neurological, um, nervous system tools to just help ramp down, uh, that fight or flight response is you know, one of the things they need to start with early on. And that's why in Regulate, in Primal Trust, we start with nervous system understanding, making sure you've got um, connected, whether it's a study group, a community, somebody. Um, yeah. No,
0: so I, I, I just, I love this conversation. <laughs> I have to join it. It's just so cool. So one, one of the things that I, I want you to talk to, to us about is in hardware versus software. Uh, your 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 brain which needs to be retrained versus your software response and it almost sounds to me like what you're arguing is you understand that at the prehabilitation phase that brain retraining is not possible but you do need to develop some techniques that will allow you to calm your brain and keep you in the um, in the parasympathetic or bring you to the parasympathetic state so you're doing that little by little. And as you grow and maybe get to what Matt was saying in our, our framework, the rehab phase, that's when you're in a better place. You've already gone through the kill. And now what you have to do is you have to now rewire the hardware and you in your program would be later in the process because it's not rewiring in the beginning. It's developing techniques that will allow you just to, to calm yourself and stay present and allow your immune system to function. But then you have to go through a rewiring phase, but that's later on.
1: Yeah. Some people can do it in that early phase. It depends on your upbringing. Some people can do brain retraining right away, even if they're, they just have, they have the personality for it. So I want to say that not it's some people can right away, brain retrain and do the nervous system work, but I still don't like teaching brain retraining right away, because I think that if you're doing it with this obsessive fix it, focus, need to kill, need to brain retrain. And you haven't learned how to just simply breathe and be with your body that's sick and hold some space for it. Your brain retraining approach is going to be with the approach of a sympathetic overdrive, need to fix myself. And that's what I see in some of these other programs. They go into brain retraining with a sympathetic approach. They haven't even learned how to hold space with compassion for some of their symptoms and breathe with themselves so that when they do the brain retraining, it's done from a more regulated state, from more of an inner adult state that can hold space for them and do the brain retraining. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. And you know, the, the other thing that you and Matt haven't built out that I'd like to just bring to the conversation is we're also dealing with medical trauma at that time, right? And we know the average person needs to see at least seven doctors before they can get a diagnosis. We know that doctors are constantly looking through a very limited prism. We we know that doctors are then not only is our relationship with doctors, which I'd like you to talk more about, is is going to have an impact on, you know, the the three problems that you talked about, but it's also going to interfere with the relationships we have with other people who want to be supportive because when the doctors are telling us that uh, you know, it's on our head, that our parents and our loved ones and other people believe that it's in our head. And we have this really difficult environment from a relationship standpoint, uh, spinning around us. So I, you know, I, I think it could be overwhelming to introduce, you know, an intense um, rewiring program at this phase of, of, of our uh, journey, because there's just so much going on.
1: I think one of the, that is exactly what happens. There's a lot of medical trauma, there's a lot of um, invalidation that happens. And one of the things we do in primal trust is right away in the first module, we help them to understand where the nervous system piece fits into the infection piece and how both are true that there is, um, a self-regulation piece that's vital. And it's true that you might have infection. You might have these injuries and that, and why bringing that nervous system piece in as early as possible is to your benefit because getting people to, you know, get on board with this, this mindset work, this nervous system work without them feeling like, oh, they were right. It was all in my head. Getting them to combine that self-regulation early on is the best thing they can do. Every protocol you do is going to be better if you are in a parasympathetic state and no pill is going to fully put you there.
0: But Kathleen, one of the things we were talking about offline is sort of the, du- the dual dangers of invalidation or, or medical trauma, because on the one side of the coin, we have people who are invalidating us uh, from the medical community, from, again, the acute care system that we have. So we, we get invalidated, and that, that triggers us into fight or flight. But the other thing it does is it makes us resistant to working with people like you and programs like yours or working with anybody on neural retraining or, or with the psychological elements because you think you're validating the people yeah. who said It's all in your head. Right. So we have this dual danger that comes together and we get into a position where although we need to be working with mental health professionals and in a mental health program, even though we need to be doing that very early on our journey, while we're working with the other medical professionals we're working with, we become resistant to doing it because we think we're validating the invalidation.
1: Yes. That is the number one issue of everyone that comes into my program with Lyme disease is I don't want to invalidate myself. I've been invalidated enough already. And I want to speak to that because it took me almost 10 years to start doing nervous system retraining. Why? Because I didn't want to invalidate my experience as well. So I'm the first one to say I was incredibly resistant to using the tools that I would give people for chronic pain to me who had Lyme disease. I oh, I was angry. I had a therapist at one point that said, "You know, I think a lot of your Lyme symptoms would get better if you would do nervous system work." And I was like, "A big hell no. Um you're invalidating me." Um so I just want to say I am that person and so what I'm about to say to you, um being that person, I'd like to save you the 10 years that it took me to decide to do this for myself. Yes. You've been invalidated probably even as a child. That was my case. I was in an abusive relationship that nobody could see. I looked perfect in that I had, you know, I was getting good grades. I was, you know, seemed fine and like, oh, she's fine. Her home must be fine. Nobody knew. So I had that rage inside of me from the beginning that nobody sees that I'm suffering. Can't you see I'm suffering? Nobody could see it. I I couldn't prove it It was invisible wounding. And that setup really makes it hard when we get an illness that's a match for that, that is invalidated by the medical world. I was so invalidated. I was given so many anxiety um, prescriptions every time I went in, it's just anxiety. You need a counselor. Oh my gosh, I know that rage. At the end of the day, there's only one person who can help your parasympathetic nervous system come online. It's not your doctor. It's not a pill. It's you. You have to show up for you. You have to show up for that little girl, little boy inside of you where no one could show up and self-soothe. I realized at some point I had to take the responsibility to do whatever I could to um, connect with my limbic system, to connect with my nervous system And even though I had those doctors saying, see, it's all anxiety. There is a piece that was anxiety. You know what? And maybe it's like, you are right. There's a component here where my immune system isn't operating as properly as it could because I have a chronic stress response. That's not my fault that I was wired that way, but there are tools where I can start to learn how to turn that nervous system around and I now see that it's just as important, if not more important than any pill I put in my body because I'm the only one that can truly turn on this switch of parasympathetic rest and digest. And I saw that truth and I had to own that truth and I had to swallow a big pill of humility to do it because my family you know and friends were invalidating me but, I wanted to be well, and I wanted to give, I wanted to show up for that scared part of me, um, for the sick part of me in a way that I knew was, I knew I had an infection. I was gonna have to validate me. And I had friends validating me at this point. I had you know, other people rewiring that were validating me. So I was being validated, maybe not by my doctors, maybe not by family members, but I did have people who saw me at this point, and I think that's why I was able to do it. I was a, I was seen by enough people that said, okay, I'm seen, and now I need to show up for myself in this way.
0: So I, I, I want to challenge you a little bit on this, because one of the things that you talked about is having to show humility or you know, to swallow the pill of humility. And I don't think it's, um, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this point. And I don't think it's a lack of responsibility or, again, responding with ability. It's knowing enough about how your brain works, which none of us know. I I can tell you, I, I, I was, you know, well into my 50s before I understood that I had a binary brain. I was well into my 50s before I understood the difference between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic state. So because we don't know how our brain works, I certainly didn't. Um, and because we don't know what the steps are we can take to respond with ability, um, I don't think it's humility. I think it's education. And I think, you know, I, I would I would like to sort of validate one of the arguments that you made earlier, which is finding a community and having a community of people who can help you not only, um, you know, learn the techniques that you need to learn to be present, so that you can aid your immune system but also to help you have the information you need about how your brain is functioning so you can then take control and 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 assist your um you know your your healing process with being present and staying in the or doing everything you can to move out of the uh, sympathetic state
1: i think that's a very fair statement in that it does we It was the education of understanding how my nervous system was contributing to the inability of my immune system. And I'll say that there was a part of me that felt like it needed, a part of me felt like it was humiliating in that experience. And that part of me exists even today. I can find a part of me that's still mad that, that when the people would be like, you just need to calm down. There's a part of me that does feel humiliated that they were right. And that is present. And so I'm speaking to not the whole of me, but a part of me that, um, I needed to, I needed to hold in its feeling of humiliation because certain people specifically would say, if you would just calm down, this would help you. So it felt that way, but now I have the education and, Yes. And it's not just about being, you know, I need to calm down, but not for the reason that you're saying, because that's, what's going to actually help my immune system. And
0: Kathleen, isn't the basic human fear that we're not enough, and it and it's yeah. just it's it's just part of who we are organically, and we're always yeah. going to feel like we're not enough, and we're always going to feel like we can't be loved. That is the basic human fear, and once we recognize that that is a basic human fear that is mm-hmm. that is built into every one of us, and that I guess it could feel humiliating because that is a part of our basic uh, organic makeup. But once we understand what our basic uh, makeup is, we understand that all of us have that same basic fear and that we now have the ability to work from there knowing it's not what anyone else is doing to us and it's not what we're doing to ourselves, but it's just a basic human fear and we now have the ability to now learn about how our brain works and how our body works and how our brain and body work together and we and we 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 become the stewards of this of this, um, you know, of the, this vessel that we are, which then lets us take the next step and and make the spiritual connections. That yeah. I love that you 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 know that you talk about in in a lot of your work, and 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 I do want us to talk a little bit about vibration and some of the work that you're doing there as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you've really hit that. The whole piece here is that we now have the education, and there's no shame in this process of working with our brain and nervous system as part of our treatment protocol. And the part that we actually have the most empowerment and capacity to do, because it does exactly what you just mentioned. It's changing our vibration. It's changing the patterns of, it's not just about the nervous system. We can take this full quantum and it's changing our epigenetic switches. Um, It's changing our, 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 our electromagnetic field around us. It changes our families, our relationship it's so, and, and that's, what's so cool is what started as, okay, I need to calm, you know, activate my vagus nerve and calm down my limbic system becomes a pathway of regulating my entire family unit. Like how cool is that? I'm changing patterns in my ancestry here because of these tools of connecting my brain to my heart. It's, and it becomes so much more fulfilling because it's beyond fighting Lyme disease. It's, I can connect with my child. And this makes me teary. I can connect with my child in a way that my mother never could connect with me because I've had to learn the skill. I'm breaking generations. And that's when this nervous system work becomes a passion.
0: And, and this is how we now connect our our physical body with our emotional body with our spiritual right because again we, we 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 have a failure in our capacity to describe this our language causes us to segregate our spirit from our from our from our emotions and from our body but it's all one right and and, and again you talked about you talked about um you know, the cell danger response, right? And of course, our, our, our mitochondria, of course, are creating energy, and they're creating vibrations, which are then all of our cells are collectively, uh, you know, um, creating the vibration. And we're either going to be tapping into the larger spirit um, with w- in a healthy way, or we're going to be shut off from that, because yeah. our brain and our, our body are preventing us from connecting with your children with other people and, and then with the largest spirit and, you know, and the way Matt and I would describe that as, as traditional Christians with God.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nobody likes to think about this Lyme journey being a source of spiritual awakening, but I'm sorry it is. And it, and it is for almost anyone I talk to that have come through it. Um, it's a beautifully difficult, terrible journey in lots of different ways there's and it, and it does it takes all of the human experiences all into one the suffering the beauty the 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 loneliness the connection with God that can happen in the process it it's all of it it's it's all of it and um and the nervous system work allows us to have that capacity for more of that connection for more of that perspective to come in and I would even argue, when it comes down to mitochondria, our mitochondria we're using our energy for protection or for thriving. And when we can get in touch with, when we can get our nervous system regulated and we get in touch with um, more of our purpose, our mission, our passion, our mitochondria start getting a different signal. Like, Oh, I need this energy for this purpose, this mission. And when that switch happens, we start to switch out of cell danger response. I see it again and again with chronic fatigue syndrome, especially you know, they're completely shut down. They're in protection. They've lost themselves. They, they they got on the wrong path somewhere in their life. They start to connect their, to their nervous system. They start to remember who they are, what they love, connect with their source. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do with my life. And when they get that, aha, something happens all the way down to the cellular level. That mitochondria is like, oh, this is what I need energy for. I want to do that. And it's safe to do it now. And that's another big piece. It needs to feel safe to do it. That switch, when you witness that in somebody, it's amazing, and that's a miracle.
0: It is a miracle, right? And, and because energy is going to do one of two things: we're either going to release our energy into the world where we can serve others, or it's going to be bottled up in us and it's going to eat us alive. It's going to be one or the other. And the the, the challenge with 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 being in this state, and I love this, um, you know, this the cell danger response is all of the energy is staying in us. It's eating us alive. It's working against us. It's making us Mm -hmm. so we can't detox. It's making us so that we can't heal. And it's certainly making us so we Mm can't serve. And when we can't serve, we're not meeting our basic human needs because we are made to serve. And if we are not serving, we we are not meeting one of our very important basic human needs. And it makes it, in my view, very difficult, if not impossible, to heal if we're not serving.
1: Yeah hundred percent, hundred percent big part of my healing was starting to serve others who were sick while I was still sick, teaching them these tools. It, it brought a life force through me that I hadn't had in years. I, I had reason to have energy. Um, when I started feeling safe enough to mother again, there was another servicing, but I had to again, find some safety there to serve in that way. Um, Yeah, this is a huge topic and one that I'm so passionate about. I think that when we can get more science to connect the dots between cell danger response and that chronic fatigue shutdown and tapping into our purpose, our serving, our passions, our living, our values, and watching what can happen at a cellular level when there's enough safety in our environment to make that switch, I think that's going to be an amazing breakthrough in science.
0: I want to tie two things together. I know Matt is almost jumping out of his chair because he has so much to ask you, but I I do want to make one more connection because I just love this conversation we're having, right? We were talking about serving, right? And the importance of serving in order to be able to heal, right? Uh, But we have to be careful about who we're serving while we're on our healing journey, right? Who we're serving with, because when we, when we are serving in my view, what we should be doing is looking to the people who are not as far along as we are and trying to help people to get to where we are. But we have to be really careful that we're not trying to serve past where we are, because we may be giving people bad advice, and we may not be giving people the you know the, the, the help that they need. In fact, we may be hurting them, right? So can you talk to us about, about the importance of serving and the importance of, of, of helping others, but making sure that we're doing that in a way that's not only healthy for us, but it's healthy for the other people that we're serving.
1: So this is so important because as we talked about in the beginning, one of the setups for chronic illness is when we people please and when we neglect our own needs. So this is a careful balance of getting enough connection in our own nervous system um, to feel our needs, to make sure that we are meeting our basic needs above um, serving and extending our energy to somebody else. And when you, and, and so I just want to make that point because we're talking about service, but this doesn't mean going against your own capacity, not meeting your needs. And I find that For those who had this protection mechanism, it can be very difficult to get in touch with our needs and not end up in that helper role in an out of balance way. And in primal trust, one of the things we teach is how to presence ourselves so that we can get a part of our brain called our insula more online. Our insula is our connection to our gut instinct, to our needs, and to develop that brain to body communication of here's my needs. Here's the energy I have so that when let's say we're talking on the phone, trying to help somebody, we sense, you know what, I have about two more minutes because I'm feeling tired of talking right now and I'm going to need to go rest. If we don't have that connection that our insula is picking up, we have exhausted ourselves with this conversation. We could go past that and, you know, kind of put ourselves into a fatigue state. So service, Yes but with healthy self-awareness, which comes through nervous system regulation, presencing, breath work, and getting that brain to body communication back online. Also with relationship repair, where we, we are better off and safer, not pleasing that person if it means that it's to our detriment getting that conscious awareness of, oh, I'm going into please to my detriment. That's a pattern I've been in since I've been two, and I'm recognizing it. And I'm going to tell this person, you know what, I'm kind of going into pleaser mode, helper mode right now, and I'm going against myself. So I'm going to need to get off the phone call.
2: Yeah, I think what so much of what you're describing here, Kathleen, is what we see as the missing parts of some other programs that we've evaluated. And you're bringing together the science, you're bringing together cells and mitochondria and energy and nervous system and brain pathways and, and hormones. And you're coupling that with your program, but also identifying it's it's all of the different pieces that have to come together to bring us into a healing state. And I, I think that the cell danger response term is really powerful because that takes the science from the the core ground level and builds up into why your program is so powerful and why nervous system regulation and why brain rewiring is really going to be pivotal for allowing your body to be open to healing when you start to get on longer on in your journey. Right, so I have to tell you, I am just you can probably tell we absolutely love you, Kathleen, right? So there's, there's no doubt about that. We think you're like amazing. So we're going to come back to this, but I don't want to, I don't want to lose sight of your journey. So before I start rambling and geeking out with you even more, you, you tried to treat Lyme, you were super sensitive. You then realized you couldn't detox. You had to address all of these other core core things like your vagus nerve and do all that and then get into brain rewiring. It sounds like you pivoted to mold after you had really not a lot of success treating Lyme because you were so sensitive to the treatment. So is that what happened? You then pivoted to mold after the Lyme treatment wasn't really working for you? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I basically pivoted to binders and nervous system work. And that's really where I left it. I never went back treating Lyme. Um, Do I still have Lyme in me? I haven't tested, probably. My function though, is when this is what I say to people, they're like, oh, are you completely cured? I'm like, I have no idea. But what I know is that my function my function is there, and so I really focused on function, and I focused on the things that seemed to really impact that, which was detoxing and nervous system work, um, and you know let that be my focus point. Mostly because I had so many years trying to kill this thing. Can I take supplements now? Yes, because you know I had COVID a handful of months ago, and I can take herbs. I I can take mouthfuls of tinctures now, so I'm obviously able to tolerate things. Um, and that's cool because now I know, okay, if I start going into a dip, I could take things. I can, I, I have that capacity now. And I never believed that before. Um, so I don't know. I just skipped a whole bunch of the story, but yeah, <laughs> binders and nervous system work got me to a capacity where I can tolerate things.
2: So before we geek out even more, is there anything else that you did besides the primal trust techniques, all the stuff you talked to us about the vagus nerves, the brain rewiring, et cetera, were there any supplements or any other tools you used that were valuable that you want to share with the listeners before we kind of go yeah. back and geek out a little bit more?
1: So for me at the, at this point, I was basically bankrupt, poor, I had no money. I was able to take, I, I could afford binders. So I did binders. Um, I did brain retraining and I did. Think eight sessions of, uh, ozone before I ran out of money at the time. So that stopped. Um, so honestly, it was primarily like nervous system work all day, every day, not all day, every day, but I did a lot of it because I wasn't working at the time and binders and detox stuff. Um, you know, I had my, my multivitamin, I had my adrenal, I did take like, um, The HPA adapt type stuff for a while there when I was working on coming out of anxiety. Uh, But mostly it was binders, sauna. Um, I had a whole body vibration plate. Um, I had um, I spent a lot of time on the ground, earthing. And so it was kind of a, a different journey for me after so many years of going from Lyme doctor to Lyme doctor and protocol to protocol. I just got burnt out on it and I was on fire about the, the nervous system work because, and and it was making so much difference in my function. Um, and that's why I really believe that our body has a capacity to start, um, going after these pathogens. When we get our toxin level down we get our nervous system level up and we're living in a healthy space. Um, I think that could I have been doing Lyme protocols? Probably. I just was so distant. I didn't have a doctor I trusted anymore. And I was just disenchanted with that whole thing. And I just looked the other way. Um, But I totally feel right now, if I were to need that, I'd be able to tolerate a treatment protocol.
2: Well, I love that you are going to be inspiration for people that listen to this podcast and say, I can't take any treatment because I'm super sensitive. And I have all these genetic mutations to prove why I can't treat well, you had all those genetic mutations, you had every infection under the sun. And yet through all the techniques and everything you're now teaching through Primal Trust, you are now able to take as many supplements as you need. And you did so after having COVID and you rebounded pretty quickly. So I think that's a really cool testament and transformation you described, right? I mean, that's powerful. It's huge.
1: Yeah, it was it was really cool moment when I was like, taking dropperfuls of things with COVID. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can do this. Or I actually, I ended up having a bacteria infection and they gave me doxy because during COVID and I could take it. And I was like, I can take an antibiotic. It was a check Mark. So, you know, I, um, I I'm not against these things. I'm not a purist. Like we just got back from Costa Rica, got another gut bug. I'm like, I think we're going to do a parasite protocol. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm like, I think sometimes it's okay. And I think, why not? I've had a history. And, and and just to get to this point where, you know, my function is more and more and more, and the capacity for these um, to take things is, is there. So then I'm not afraid that if I were to start to dip, I, before I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't take anything. I don't feel that way anymore. I could, I could take something. I could get on a protocol and probably pull myself out if I needed to do that
2: talk to us about the full body vibration plate. We've had some people talk about it on the podcast. What are the benefits of that? Is it detox? Yeah. Is it treatment? You know, can you us a little more about what that is, how it works yeah. and if it helped you at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I wasn't able to exercise at the time and I had very poor capacity even for like um, homeopathic detox stuff. I couldn't do a lot. So the whole body vibration plate was a way to stimulate my cells to start detoxing and also get into the body in a little bit of movement. And I mean, I had to start at like two minutes of it I couldn't even do that now like I still use it almost every day and do my weight training and I can do 15 minutes and it's not a big deal but it was a way for me to begin getting my cells to release in a way that I could tolerate same thing with sauna just very carefully and then the binders I really um I really find that binders are important um, for people with with this condition and as soon as people can tolerate binders I'm like I'm like get on them because I think it just why, why would we not help ourselves pull out these toxins? Like, why wouldn't it? Cause some people do this nervous system. Like, Oh, I'm going to like faith heal myself with just nervous system brain retraining. And it's like, if you can tolerate things that are helping your body without it becoming an obsession and a, like a fix it mode, I think, I think it's fine. I think it's great. It's a win-win it's like drinking good water and healthy food. Like, why wouldn't you do that? If you're trying to help your body heal. And finding a practitioner who can work with you carefully and watch out for cell danger response as they're treating Lyme with protocols, I think is great. And I have lots of practitioners I recommend for that. So, you know, I'm not against any of that where some programs are like, you know, stop all treatment, just do brain retraining. Sometimes people need to stop treatment in that they're so obsessed with everything. It's just like their protocols take them all day and they're in such a sympathetic dominant state that they need to kind of take a break, come be in their body do the nervous system work, and then carefully get back to certain protocols with a balanced mindset. So I do recommend from time to time, like, you know what, you need a little bit of a break here because you're, you're going like batshit crazy with your stuff. You need to come back to center and then add things in slowly to keep yourself out of cell danger response as you walk out of this.
2: Yeah. And your approach is very balanced as you noted, right? Other brain retraining programs are very much stop everything else, do this and only do this. And this becomes your life, which can be risky as well, because you can become obsessed mm-hmm. with brain retraining, right? I mean, yeah. that's, oh, that's yeah, another 100%. risk. So
1: Totally. I, we get a lot of those that have been brain retraining for years. And I'm like, so, um, <laughs> yeah,
2: probably not a good idea, but I, I do want to circle back because you made a comment and I want to learn more about why. You said when you start your program, you don't do brain retraining. You start with the vagus nerve and you start with breathing techniques, maybe humming techniques, just to, to calm down the nervous system, take you out of the sympathetic nervous system state and bring you into the parasympathetic state. So taking you out of fight or flight, bring you into rest and digest. Then once you've gotten to that area, then you introduce brain brain retraining. What is the risk and or danger of introducing brain retraining while you're still in sympathetic overdrive? Yeah. Um, so
1: I'm going to say, One more thing, even before the nervous system work, our first module is all on the science and on the education, because I know that if I can't get your psyche on board with this, it's going to kick and scream and it's going to resist this. So the first thing is like the science cell danger response. Why, why nervous system retraining is important to convince you, um, to take the time to do this work because the journey of nervous system work is uncomfortable you're going to have to feel things that you don't want to feel. you're going to have to present um, very difficult sensations. And so step one is getting your psyche on board your your rational mind on board for the for the journey. Now I don't do brain retraining right away because sometimes I think brain retraining can be a type of escapism where you go into visualization land, You're ignoring your body, you're ignoring your relationship difficulties, and you're getting into what can be toxic positivity without developing that brain to body connection that was supposed to develop as an infant. So I'm taking you through the process as a child, you know, we need some type of regulating force to be able to even breathe, you know, in a, in a regulated way. So I'm thinking, what do people need? They need to become aware of what their nervous system is what state their nervous system is like just becoming aware that I'm in a sympathetic response, that education needs to be there. Oh, I need to slow down my breathing. I need to take uh, a rest. Um, This relationship is actually causing me to be really triggered or when, oh my gosh, I feel so much anxiety as I'm people pleasing right now. So getting them aware of that so that with that awareness, their brain retraining is way more targeted and it's way more embodied and it's honestly, more real because sometimes it's not about positivity with brain retraining. It's about, you know what? I want to just find compassion for this situation. So I'm going to visualize having compassion for my partner that I'm really upset with right now. I'm going to have compassion for myself. And that might be your brain retraining because you're more aligned with what's going on inside of you, or maybe your brain retraining, setting a boundary and it's got anger in it you know, oh my God, God forbid you brain retrain an anger moment, but sometimes it's appropriate if you're a people pleaser. So having the nervous system um, understanding and awareness to me is a crucial piece that I think comes first. So that brain retraining isn't done in a dysfunctional toxic positivity way that's self gaslighting.
2: Well, nobody ever talks about brain retraining being done in a potential negative way that could be a toxic way. So I think it's it's really cool that you're sharing that because everybody thinks it's all just, you know, wonderful, but it has to be done right. And I think that's why it has to be done under yeah. the care of somebody who can guide people to do it the right way. And that's exactly what you are with Primal Trust. So it's really, yeah. really cool to learn from you. I do want to, I know we're getting really tight on time here, but I do want to ask another question because one of the things for me, when looking back, I was clearly stuck in fight or flight for many, many, many years. One thing that allowed me to start doing things and experimenting, I mean, I was completely frozen. I took the HPA balance by Dr. Rolls, which is a whole bunch of adaptogens. Yep. And that allowed me, I think it calmed my nervous system down enough to be open to treatments. And that propelled me in a great way that I never, never knew what it was gonna do for me, just to bring me into a state where I can be open to trying new things. So what kind of adaptogens, herbs, supplements, et cetera, are helpful in partnership with your program and all these other techniques you described to help, maybe I don't know, I guess I'll say expedite or advance the, the progress of bringing your nervous system in check and bring you into fight or out uh, of fight or flight, into rest and digest. So you can make more logical, rational decisions while also going through your program. I think they're, 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 these types of things may complement each other very well.
1: Yeah. Um, first of all, I'll say before I talk about supplements that I'm not a medical doctor and this would just be my personal opinion because as you know, with Lyme, um, you gotta be careful about what you say. So I'm just going to tell you my personal experience. Um, I found some adaptogens, um, too stimulating, for example, ashwagandha for me initially was too stimulating. So I found, um, and I like rawls formula actually it doesn't have Ash, the one that i used um i think he calls it adapto something or another Oh, the
2: adaptogen recovery
1: yeah so adaptogen. bill rawls formula i think is great um at one point i literally just started with rhodiola cuz that's all i could tolerate and sometimes i was doing like even homeopathic stuff so i'd say with adaptogens and for for anything with the adrenal start slowly and try like, you know, maybe single, you know, single things like rhodiola, or I, I do like Rawls formula, which I even give to my kids if they need. So I feel pretty safe with that. But you know, it's, you also want to be careful about giving yourself too many things. Cause I made that mistake as well. I think part of my issue is I was taking too many things and my liver just wasn't processing at all. And it was like, it's like the limbic system was like, this is too much. So if you're really sensitive, I would just start with one type of adaptogen at a time, like rhodiola or ulyth- ulythro. Those are two that I played with um, before, you know, formulas that have multiple things in them. But also to know that, again, as is, is powerful as these things are, I really believe getting yourself trained in nervous system, breath work, um, grounding, being in nature is so powerful for um, for the adrenal system and getting that back online. And, you know, I know for me that it was like, if I could get my brain state into a moment of feeling like, okay, I have safety here. um, my adrenal system would reset pretty quickly. And as soon as I would get out of safety, it would go, you know, it, so there's like a switch. It's almost like a switch in the brain that can be flipped and finding the tools, the techniques, and the support to flip that are important. I'll, I'll be honest, like I would say the most powerful medicine I took was literally sitting by a river or sitting by a lake or sitting next to a tree as much as I could be in nature for me, for me personally, it was incredibly regulating. And I, I really feel like it helped my capacity to detoxify, to come back online. So, you know, I always recommend, um, you know, first and foremost, getting outside, um, is, you know, I, I, I would even camp, uh, as much as that might be scary for some people with Lyme. Um, because just being in nature, as much as I could help to reset something in my energy field, even. Um, so I would say that's my favorite pill is sitting by a tree.
2: I love that. So I do want to ask for a follow-up because Jig. I generally think about adaptogens as herbs that, well, and Dr. Rolls describes adaptogens as herbs that help you come to a state of normalcy. Like you, you know, you know they're working if you feel normal. And when I first heard that, I'm like, I don't understand, what are you saying? And then once I started taking them, like, I kind of get it now. Like I do get it, right? But what do you mean by they were a little too stimulating? Because to me, they actually kind of calm you down. So it sounds like, you know, again from your own personal experience, right? Because you did these. You said that you had to start with one rather than a blend can you give us a little more information? What did that feel like for you that you felt overstimulated and that your intuition said, I got to pull back and maybe just do one and and ease into this, right?
1: For some people, for some people, sometimes taking anything because your limbic system is involved, it can have a counter effect. For me, ashwagandha was one of those counter effects. Not always, I can take it now and it's, it's, it's great, but there was a period where it had a different effect. Same thing. Like people taking vitamin C can cause like hyperstimulation. So when the limbic system is involved, it's also interpreting what these herbs are. And if it, for whatever reason, interprets it as threat, you're going to have a spike, even if that herb is a calmer. And that's, what's crazy. Like that that's when your limbic system that's, and that's another reason to do the nervous system limbic retraining, because you can have like you know, counterintuitive effects to things. And, and that's just part of the deal. So that's what I mean by that, that, that can happen. And it's different for everybody depending on their function.
2: So I'm going to, I want to really make sure we get to talk about primal trust. We've talked about it a lot, but can you tell us how did you, after, you know, you, you talked to us about your Lyme, then you dealt with the mold and then you started dealing with parasites and then you really, you know, went really deep into the brain retraining and all, all things, vagus nerve, nervous system, etc. When did you realize there's something here? I'm going to start Primal Trust and walk us through that development of this business and now how you're helping so many people. Again, we've had countless people tell us that your program has significantly improved their lives. We want to hear what inspired you and how you created Primal Trust.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that um, opportunity to talk about this. Well, it's really just been a natural progression of, I'd say, the call of the universe. I started coaching people one-on-one who are doing brain retraining programs and helping them to implement that in a slightly different way, a slightly less dogmatic way with a little bit more embodiment because I had a background as a physical therapist with somatic training, functional neurology. And I saw with certain people that they were out of their body doing brain retraining and it wasn't serving them. So I actually had a bit of a reputation early on as the dangerous person who is like anti anti the normal way. And like, I mean, there are things like people, yeah, I had... I had early on what I was doing was dangerous because I was doing breath work and somatics and you know, having you feel your feelings. And that was, you know, sounds very dangerous. Oh man, deep breathing. It was very dangerous. And um and people started getting better. So um eventually I started teaching a class called Creating Calm. It was my first class, and it was just like a combination of brain retraining, vagus nerve toning, somatics, and energy medicine, because that's how I worked with myself and there was enough people that are like, oh, I want to take brain retraining to this next level. And I had good results, but I also saw that once people started to heal with their nervous system, a lot of their relationship wounding would come up. And I saw that um, people needed more than just the brain retraining. And so I started taking them on the journey that I was going on to help with relationship attachment repair, developing this inner adult self, finding my true purpose. So my journey became beyond healing from Lyme and co-infections. It was about reclaiming myself. And I started to take my clients on that journey with me. And it had a lot of success. So initially I launched level two before level one. So primal trust mentorship, um, a bunch of people that were brain retraining took it and they loved it. And we formed a community with a different focus than the typical brain retraining focus, a focus on reclaiming your life and on um, that true self attachment repair journey. Um, but I saw that there needed to be a, a, um, a better brain retraining nervous system program than what I had. And so I created a new level one program called Regulate which is, you know, talking about the cell danger response, the vagus nerve stuff, all that stuff. And that's, that launched fall of 2022. So basically primal trust was created with um, the gradual need of my clients of seeing, you know, they needed more than brain retraining. Oh, they need inner attachment repair. And so do I, so I'm just going to teach what I'm learning. I'm literally just teaching one step ahead of what I, you know, my, my people that are in my community and I'm still learning. I'm still learning, especially the relationship piece. Like I'm really, I'm still in that. And how do we continue to heal our relationships so that our body is more resilient? So yeah, I'm just teaching what I'm learning and I'm creating a lot of structure around it. And, um, it's been really successful to create that structure for others to walk through the same roadmap that I've been on.
2: So it's only been about a year that the full Primal Trust has been in play that you've built out. I mean, it seems like that's wild. I mean, it's it's wild the success you've had. And I think that speaks to the success of the program, how much you've been successful and how much you've blown up over the last year, right? But another really cool thing is you also have a free Lime mini class, right? And it's on your website, primaltrust.org. And it's a free Lyme webinar and ebook bundles that people have to do with putting their name and email and they'll get this free course. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what people should expect to get if they go to your website? Again, primaltrust.org and put in their information to get this free Lyme webinar and ebook.
1: Well, I want to tell you why I created it. We launched Regulate, my level one uh, program in the fall, and obviously have people coming in with Lyme, long haul COVID, chronic fatigue, mold, um, chemical sensitivity, all sorts of things. We did a, uh, a data collection of the outcomes of, you know, um, after two to four months of Regulate, um, what were the outcomes? And the Lyme community blew everyone away with their outcomes. So within two to four months, 51% in improvement with those with chronic Lyme. Wow. They were higher than mold, than chronic fatigue. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> People need to know. Like the Lyme people tend to think, "Oh, you know, that works better for those that just have digestive issues because theirs isn't really an infection." This works for infection, okay? And we have data, and it's so exciting. So when I got that data point in uh, April of this year, I'm like, I'm creating a webinar for Lyme that's free so they can understand why this is so important. Because to take that, I didn't, I didn't have the data except for for myself. Um, most brain retraining pro- pro- programs focus on mold and MCS and chronic fatigue and all that. And we do have great results with that too. Like, don't get me wrong, they're like right behind at like 40 some percent improvement after two to four months. Two to four months, it's not even that long, right? So, to me, I created this program because the Lyme world needs to know that nervous system work is crucial and it helps their treatment and they can do it at any stage. And then maybe they need to work through the pro- program slowly. But even getting the awareness that my nervous system can help my immune system fight this infection and detoxify, that alone is gold that I wished I would have believed in early on. So yeah, that's why in a nutshell, that's why I created it.
2: Well, I have to tell everybody that I literally, in real time, just put my email and phone, uh, email and name in, and I can't wait to get the email and now download all that and, and watch it. So if people want to get in touch with you, obviously we talked about your website, primaltrust.org. Your Instagram is really powerful as well. It's trust underscore official is your handle. But what is the best way? Should people hit you up on your website, your social media? What's the best way for people to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, the website has a contact me form. That's going to be the easiest. Just contact me through the website. Um, of course, you can get in touch through social media as well. If you're on Instagram messaging us or the link tree bio, but Um, yeah, the website would be the easiest way. I've got a lot of free content on YouTube and on Instagram. Like just, um, I have a lot of free stuff for you to understand and be able to, you know, implement a lot of this on your own. And I'll be honest. And I say this, like, I don't, if my program doesn't resonate, that's fine. Just find some type of program or book or practice that helps you with nervous system work, and you will be well on your way, in a way that I wasn't for many years. I didn't make that a priority at all, um, and I wish I would have. So, I just want to say that as well.
2: So, is there anything, Kathleen or Rich, anything you want to add before we conclude? Or Kathleen, is there anything we missed that you want to share with our listeners before we conclude this really, really amazing podcast interview?
0: Well, I, I don't think it would be fair to keep Kathleen for another two hours, despite quite frankly having two more hours of questions for her. So, <laughs> yeah. I will. Uh, I will. I will hold back on my uh, on all of my questions about binary brains and neuroplasticity and epigenetics for our follow up. So the only thing I want to do is get Kathleen to commit to having a follow up with us, so that we yeah. can we can give our community a part two of all the goodness that uh, that um, she has shared with us.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. As you can tell, I I love talking about this. I love um, giving people the hope and the understanding that I wish I would have had. And I just wanna say really quick too, I know for me, I felt like I was too broken, too sick, too traumatized, too high of an A score, too many co-infections that my body body couldn't do this. My body couldn't self-heal and we're never too broken. We really aren't, we need the right support. We need the right focus. And, you know, finding that, making that a priority, you know, I, I think everybody needs to somehow have enough of that basic resource to climb out of this, but finding a doctor who understands cell danger response, and is going to carefully walk you through the journey, finding, um, a therapist or a coach, um, to help encourage you with your nervous system work, you know, finding those, those supports that you feel like are solid, you can walk out of this, you can get out of this, your body has an amazing capacity. Um, I'm astounded every day at like what my body can do now, despite everything that it's went through. Um, so I just want to give people hope that, you know, I wasn't sick for just a year I was sick for, gosh, I mean, uh, probably close to 15 years before I started the nervous system work. So you know, there's always, there's always a capacity in that body. It has a tremendous amount of energy. It's probably using it for protection rather than thriving. So turning that switch into thriving, that's the key. How can you switch from protection to thriving? That's the question to ask yourself and to look for that answer.
0: I think this is a perfect way to end uh, this podcast. That was a a beautiful and inspirational and hopeful way to end it. So Our
2: favorite doctor of physical therapy, Dr. Kathleen King, thank you for spending so much time with us. Thank you.